Welcome to the Tournament Poker Edge podcast, brought to you by TournamentPokerEdge.com, the only podcast dedicated exclusively to poker tournament strategy. Now here's your host, Clayton Fletcher. again everybody and welcome to the tournament poker edge podcast i'm clayton fletcher here in new york city joined by the legendary creator of tournament poker edge itself you know him you love him my man killing bird himself derek tenbush back on the program how are you derek i'm doing great clayton how are you man i'm really good how's the streaming life stream life has been good we haven't uh it's been a really kind of a slow month for streaming because i uh I had sort of, a, I guess for lack of a better description, a COVID scare uh, about two weeks ago. So I was down and out pretty much for like 10 solid days. Um, spoiler alert, I got a test and I was negative for COVID, but I had something and it took days and days to recover. It was terrible. You mean to tell me there are diseases we can catch that are not the coronavirus? <laughs> I know, it's crazy, right? <laughs> <laughs> it, I kind of thought that it probably wasn't. Like I had some symptoms but i didn't have a cough i didn't have trouble breathing i didn't have a fever i just had a lot of like body pain and like chills and uh and yeah i basically slept like 14 to 16 hours a day for like a week straight it was pretty intense that <laughs> actually wife... sounds pretty good <laughs> believe it. yeah it, it, there's worse ways to be sick but my my wife like made me put my mattress in my office and live in here for three days before I got my COVID test results back. So, so I was in full-on quarantine mode. So I, I got to experience kind of what it's like, I guess, for people who are struggling, and, and I don't uh, wish it upon anybody. It's, like, I, it's one thing I learned is, like, essentially being quarantined in your house, which is what I've been for 10 months, is way different than literally being quarantined in one room. <laughs> it's, it's horrible. Yourself. Right, yeah. <laughs> Uh, so you got a taste of what it would be like to have to quarantine with coronavirus. You also got a sense of what it might be like to be like a husband who's in trouble. <laughs> yes, exactly. Whose wife is really angry and says, look, you're not <laughs> sleeping with me tonight, buddy. You go yeah. in the other room. <laughs> it wouldn't have been so bad if I could have played poker and stuff. But I like I would get up and then I would kind of sit at my desk for like an hour and do work. And then I would just be so tired. So yeah. I would just lay back down and sleep for like three hours. I essentially did nothing. I... I I battled through my home game on on that Tuesday night, and uh, and that was about all I've done. So yeah. been kind of a little bit down in terms of poker, but uh, we've got some sessions in the last couple of days. We're back to 100%. So yeah, good. Well, I'm glad you're feeling better, and I'm really glad you're back on the program. I think people will get. I, I don't know how many listeners have an appetite for more than like three just clayton episodes in a row but <laughs> it's nice to have someone to bounce the ideas off of uh, in real time um but yeah just for those who who might be wondering about that uh, i don't mind doing the episodes by myself but as derek can certainly attest i always reach out to uh the regulars on the on the program just uh before i i start recording usually a day or two ahead of time just to see if anyone's available to uh, come on to the podcast with me and just lately uh, Derek's been sick. Others have been busy. It's just, it hasn't been possible, but I always try to get a guest. My preference is to have a guest. Believe me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah and I got. I have to tell you too. Uh, fun, funny but short story. I was uh, in a, a, another poker streamer's stream yesterday, and just kind of popped in and said hello. And he was actually doing a, a study session, like a hand history review with a friend. And that friend was like, "Oh, that's Killingbird from Tournament Poker Edge." I just have to tell him something. And he proceeded to say, "You hiring." Clayton to do the podcast is like the best decision you ever made. He said he's so good and it's awesome that it comes out more regularly now. And uh, I was like, oh, I wish Clayton was here to hear this right now. Oh, so that's had, so cool. Even, that no, honestly, <laughs> even secondhand, dude, that is uh, music to my ears. I really do love doing it and I love interacting with the fans. And I feel like, you know, that word you used, grateful, is, uh, is, is one that comes up a lot. People are just happy to have this content. And, uh, you know, I'm more than happy to keep giving it to them. I, I've said many times, I'm going to quit when I die or when you fire me, whichever comes <laughs> first. So uh, that's it. That's it. I mean, I'm, I'm in it. I love it. I, I will say that I'm I'm hoping it's because I fire you <laughs> and, and not because you died. <laughs> I mean, I love you, but if I have to fire you to keep you alive. Oh, I appreciate <laughs> Yeah, no, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah. Well, you know, to me, it's been great for my game. I mean, just the practice of thinking about poker regularly, trying to prepare for a podcast, trying to uh, think through my hands and how I want to approach discussing them with our listeners or with my guests. It's just been something that has really greatly improved my game, uh, just as much as listening to this podcast before I hosted it myself was a big influence on my game as well. You know, hearing you and uh, Diego and Casey and Mark go through hands was a big part of my development. So I'm glad that I can give back, I guess, and, uh, you know, just keep the tradition going. I know you guys don't have time to do it every week anymore, as I learn every time I reach out for a guest. <laughs> and nobody can join me. So that's yeah. just uh, that's just proof in the pudding that if we had to wait until you guys were ready, you'd, ha you'd be back to doing one or two episodes a year, which yeah. nobody wants. So uh, I'm glad that I could, uh, you know, step up and, and be a, a solution to the problem. It's not like the world has a shortage of poker podcasts right now but i think that this one because it's tournament specific and because we focus so much on strategy um i, I don't know why so many poker podcasters don't want to talk strategy that's what people want more than anything else yeah they're probably fast forwarding this to be honest they want... <laughs> yeah they're like all right clayton and Derek, it's enough <laughs> enough of you guys bsing we want to hear how to play ace queen you know and that's uh i i respect that because that's that was always my my favorite part as well. But there is news in the poker world. I wanted to get your take on something I brought up last week. I touched on it last week about the uh, you know, the reinterpretation of the Wire Act. I don't know if you've been following this story. It kind of slid under the radar as people are waiting to hear about whether or not they're going to get a stimulus check and whether this $15 minimum wage, like other things mm -hmm. that are just more important in people's lives right now. But something that happened during the Trump administration uh, has been reversed and reversed twice. So it's basically confirmed that the Wire Act does not apply to online poker. So uh, your thoughts on that? Do you do you agree with me? It feels to me like this might open some doors. Yeah, I think so, too. I, I kind of always judge things um, sort of indirectly when it comes to, like, legal issues and how they affect poker by what I see like the sports betting people talking about 
And yeah. it seemed like a lot of the sort of sports betting community who I either follow or people I follow follow and they retweeted it or whatever, um, they seemed to think that this was a pretty big deal, which, you know, means that it's probably a big deal for poker too, I would think. Um, I'm always just really interested in how this like how these dominoes fall. You know what I mean? Like, okay, so now we've decided this does not apply to poker, but what does that mean? Like, what operator is now going to step up and go, oh, cool, well, we'll launch a poker site in North Carolina then. You know, like, I'm just waiting to see how that works. Um, But it seems positive to me. I'm always cautiously optimistic about this kind of stuff because we've kind of had good news in the past. We've had bad news in the past, and I kind of feel like we're still in the same place we were you know, a day after Black Friday <laughs> to, to some degree. I mean, obviously some states have started to regulate and things like that, but um, the timing is good. The other thing I want to say is the timing is good too, I think, for poker because I think you're going to have states uh, who are suffering financially due to, to the COVID crisis, and they're going to be looking for ways to generate revenue, and whether that's weed or sports betting or poker or, you know, whatever it might be, um, they're going to be looking for opportunities, and it would seem like this would open the door for some state to go, oh, cool, here's a way for us to make some millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, well, the governor of my state, Andrew Cuomo, he's basically become a libertarian in the last few days. He's talking about legalizing drugs, gambling, sex work. <laughs> he's like a <laughs> full-on libertarian because New York State is out of money, basically, and New York City has been probably hardest hit of any region in the state, but there are other metropolitan areas in New York that are really suffering um, as a result of this ongoing pandemic. And, you know, it does appear that there's some sort of glimmer of light at the end of this tunnel, but who knows whether or not things will ever get back to where they once were um, ever in New York. Some people think New York is dead and that it's not going to ever come all the way back. I have a more optimistic view, um, partially because I'm biased because I love this city so much, but yeah, I like the way the governor is talking right now. Let's just say, I mean, I mean, I don't think I've made too big a secret of this on the podcast. I tend to want the government to stay as much out of my life as possible, and I think a lot of poker-loving people are the same. I think it's ridiculous. I have to go to New Jersey to play legal, regulated online poker, and if I don't go to New Jersey, I have to play on on you know sites that. Uh, you know, we just don't know how legit some of them are. We don't know what we're getting into. And we just know that the government's not involved with them, which can't be a good thing. So uh, I think that's silly. I mean, obviously, we created Texas Hold'em in America, and other countries get to play, and we don't. It's stupid. So yeah. I'm not going to go on any further uh, libertarian political rant or anything, but uh, it is kind of fun to see Cuomo who used to be a uh, nanny in chief changing his tune in the last week or two, uh, really trying to figure out a way to get some money back flowing in this state. And a lot of it ends up being vices. So let's go vices. <laughs> I'm just shocked to find out that sex work isn't already legal in New York City. It sure seemed like it when I was there. <laughs> Yeah, it may be rampant, but that doesn't mean it's technically legal. <laughs> oh, and they also don't use the word legalize for anything. They say decriminalize, which I don't really know what the difference is, but uh, yeah. certainly a lawyer would, would be able to explain why they use that word all the time. But it's ridiculous. It's like, what's the difference between an LOA and a contract? 
I don't know, but somebody somewhere does. And uh, legalize versus decriminalize. I don't know. It's ridiculous. Seems like everything in life has a euphemism now. So we'll yeah, see. They can they can call it whatever they want. Just let us play some poker. Exactly. Who cares? You know, use your legal terms all you want, but just get out of my life and let me shuffle up and deal. Is that too much to ask? Well, apparently yeah. it is. But <laughs> but maybe not for long with this wire act thing. So that's pretty cool. Um. Yeah, so I wanted to touch on that. So you you sound cautiously optimistic. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I, I I've always held the stance that we're gonna be we're we're gonna see poker fully regulated and, and fully legal in all states eventually. It's just a matter of how long, which states, in which order. You know, so um, I'd like them to move faster, but we shall see. I remember right after Black Friday, a lot of players I knew were making side bets on how long. It would take for poker stars to to be allowed in America again. That was the big site. Poker stars in full tilt were the two biggest uh, internet poker sites at the time, and uh, I know several players who bet that everything would be back to the way it was by the end of that year. Oh jeez. <laughs> Over ten years ago now, right? I mean, what, what, what year was that? Two thousand nine. Yeah, guess it was. Man, we're getting old, huh? <laughs> yeah, some I'm of gonna... our listeners don't even know what Black Friday is. So uh, good for you if you if you were never logging into your PokerStars account to see this big American flag on your screen saying uh, this this website has been seized by the federal, you know, blah blah blah, yeah. uh, ridiculous. But I mean, we thought it was just about money and that they would make a deal to get a share of the revenue and that everybody would, would be happy. But instead, it has just been this ongoing, nonstop legal battle, partially funded, at least on the uh, other side, by Sheldon Adelson, who recently passed away and uh, you know kind of made it his life's work to try to prevent online gambling from becoming uh, as as ubiquitous as you and I would like to see it become. And, uh, you know, he spent a lot of money making sure that the candidates he was helping to get elected would understand what he expected in return for that. And most of them, you know, did his bidding. Whether we uh, lean right or left, we cannot deny that people were doing what Sheldon Adelson wanted them to do. And that's a big reason why we don't have legal online poker in 50 states today. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't think, and I think you mentioned this on the show last week. I I don't think it's a coincidence necessarily that within days of him passing, <laughs> like this this ruling came down. It's just kind of like, okay, we're <laughs> we're all free now. Like we can do what we want now. We're no longer in this guy's pocket. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're in other people's pockets, but those guys aren't yeah. aren't as this isn't their like their dying wish. You know, I, I don't know this guy. He was really against it. And anyway, I think he was wrong. I think online gambling helps brick-and-mortar casinos, but I don't know. I guess he had his own reasons why he felt that way. But anyway, uh, rest in peace, Sheldon. I wonder how many of my friends will uh, set foot inside the Venetian now who didn't before because he owned it. (laughs) I have debated that. What what am I going to do next time I go to Vegas? Am I going to play at the Venetian? I just assume the money is still going to some bad person. I'll just... (laughs) There's plenty of other options in Vegas. It just won't be the Venetian or Bally's. Right, yeah, I'm a huge, <laughs> as everyone knows, I'm a huge Bally's fan after after they didn't even care that all my things were stolen from out of their hotel room. Oh, my God, that was the worst. 
So, yeah. Um, yeah, all right. So what else I want to mention before we do your uh, hand? I know you brought a really juicy strategy hand. You never disappoint in that area. Oh, but let's talk about Daniel and Doug. What do you think of this new thing that's going on? Daniel's tanking. Tell us what he's doing and why. <laughs> Yes, I was just reading about this today, actually, on Twitter. I I mean, I guess it started today, perhaps, in their session. But essentially, yeah, every action, uh, I guess Daniel is taking the maximum amount of allotted time. So, you know, I'm sure everybody listening to this has played online poker at one point or another, and you have the little countdown timer. It's like, you know, 20, 19, 18. Not necessarily his time bank, but the actual time to act. And he's essentially using it all every street. So even pre-flop... Uh, you know, he might, he lets it count all the way down, then he raises, or he, if Doug three bets, Daniel takes the full amount of time and then folds or calls or whatever he's going to do. And apparently it's essentially he's just trying to tilt Doug, it seems like. Um, so there's this debate raging between Team Doug and Team Daniel about whether this is right or fair or ethical. Um, so yeah, I thought I just thought it was kind of interesting, and so people dug up some some old tweets from Daniel from years ago about how people need to act faster in poker and it's, <laughs> how it's ruining ruining the game and everything, and then they're like, oh really, we'll change the tune on this, huh? Um, and I mean I don't know, my my opinion on it is pretty straightforward. It's legal. You're certainly allowed to do it. You have the amount of time to act for a reason, but. It, do, it doesn't necessarily make it good for the game or the right thing to do, <laughs> particularly in a challenge where you're kind of forced to pl- I mean, Doug doesn't have a whole lot of choice at this point, but to play. If it was me and I was sitting down with somebody doing that, I would just get up and go play somebody else, you know? Um, so I don't know. I don't, I don't, I also don't know that it's necessarily going to work against Doug. Doug, Doug isn't the kind of guy who's going to let something like that tilt him. He might get a little bit angry about it, but I don't think it's going to affect his play. Yeah, it kind of feels, um, it feels a little desperate on Daniel's part. Uh, now this match is actually going on. Actually, they just—it looks like they just stopped playing for the day. As we record this on Wednesday, January 27th, uh, I've been watching the match, and Doug was up a little over a hundred thousand. And when last I checked, um, so uh, I guess Daniel—if that was Daniel's plan—it doesn't appear to have at least affected the the uh, results of today's play, but. You know, going forward, if Daniel's plan is to use the max time on every single decision uh, in in an effort to tilt Doug, I think he runs the risk of just looking like a sore loser, um, possibly not tilting Doug in any way, and causing fewer people to want to watch the heads-up match. And I always thought that part of the reason for wanting to have this match was uh, to kind of drum up some interest in high stakes heads up cash games or poker in general so i mean aren't they doing it partly for the fans maybe not maybe he bets so much on himself that he really needs to to get this thing uh right i don't know what do you think yeah i i agree i think it's because it certainly i mean i wasn't watching today but i can't imagine that it was particularly fun to watch you know (laughs) just kind of sitting there every hand taking three, four, or five minutes or whatever. Um, I mean, I, you know, it kind of goes back to the classic, like, do our, you know, our players supposed to be ambassadors for the game or whatever. But I, I don't even know if that's really a question we can apply to Daniel because he has essentially chosen to be, if not the ambassador, one of the ambassadors, but you know, one of the biggest ambassadors of poker. He's kind of chosen that route by being sponsored and, 
and uh, you know, running his master classes and doing all these different things. So, you know, if you if you're going to embrace that, you're going to take all the good parts of that ambassadorship. Then you kind of have to be willing to suck it up and you know maybe not do what is the best thing for your game because it's annoying. <laughs> right. Well, maybe he's maybe he's got some other reason why he's doing this. You know, maybe he really wants to just actually think really hard about each and every decision. I mean, they only have, I don't know, five or 6,000 hands left to play, and that might sound like a lot, but they're about 80% of the way through the match at this point. And yeah. uh, when when I last checked before today, Doug was up like something like 550,000. Uh, so if he won another 100 today, he's going to be up like you know close to 700,000. So... Uh, you know, that's that Daniel's running out of time to yeah. to get it back. So maybe he's just trying to be extra careful because each each decision is worth possibly literally tens of thousands of dollars per decision. If you consider all the side action that they have, which I don't know, not, nobody actually knows exactly how much money has been wagered on the side. But I know Doug has a lot more than just the uh, millions that he's winning and losing in this match because he's got a lot of side action on himself and then a lot of Daniel's friends, of course, uh, bet on Daniel as well and getting, you know, something like three to one, four to one, five to one, whatever. So yeah. I don't know why, why else could he be doing it though? If not to tilt Doug, do you think there's any credence to the theory that it might just be to try to concentrate a little bit? And I guess if it was, and I need to go, like, maybe watch the replay or something and see just how frequently it's happening and in it's what spots it's, it's happening. It's like every hand. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I mean, I guess if it was something – if he wasn't doing it, like, say, when he open folds the button or whatever, I guess I would kind of get it. But if he's just doing it all the time, then it can only be to tilt him, <laughs> like, yeah. I think. You know, it's not like you have that big of a decision to make if you got – I don't know, do seven offs to a pre or whatever, like, just – do you know? I, but I'm also not a high stakes heads up cash game player, so who knows? I'm sure he'll come out and explain why he was doing it because he's been pretty open about everything up until this point. So definitely, yeah, I I, I expect Daniel to uh, you know put it all out there like he always does. Now, uh, have you ever played with a, uh, a a tanker at your table in in a tournament situation where you did not have the option of leaving or, or asking for a table change? Only really live, uh, at least that I've noticed, because I usually play um, multi, you know, anywhere from four to eight tables. So even if somebody were doing it at one of my tables, I'd probably barely notice, just because I have you know six, seven other tables going to, that I'm focused on. Um, but I have had it live, <laughs> and it's it is definitely pretty annoying. Uh, and you know, eventually people start calling them out and saying things like, dude, do you really have to take that long every decision, <laughs> you know? Um, and then sometimes that makes them move faster, and sometimes it seems like it just makes them go even slower. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm um, pretty quick to call the clock on people in tournaments. I mean, I, I don't really call the clock in cash games. It's annoying, but, you know, but in a tournament, it actually costs me money because it's fewer right. hands per hour, and then the next level, and... Whatever. I mean, I, I called the clock so many times on uh, on players in the in in my deep run in 2018 World Series main event that they actually wrote about me in the Poker News uh, reporting when I busted out. the The reporter wrote something like, uh, "Those of us on the uh, 
those of us who are covering this event will will miss the way Clayton was calling players to the task for. <laughs> they, they kind of gave me a shout out like uh, we're going to miss having someone stand up for us, you know, especially like the guy holding the camera. You know, he's got to stand there and <laughs> yeah. hold that ESPN camera. <laughs> And he's just waiting, like, endlessly for you to make your decision. You know, if you don't know what you're going to do after a minute or two, I- I'm going to call the clock on you basically every time. You-, yeah. you should never take that long. Now, if it's a player who's always really swift and never wastes my time, like, you earned it. You can take – you can you can have a tank or two. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, I'll give you that. But it's the chronic – the chronic tanking, the ones who just can't help themselves – you know, it reminds me of my acting teacher. Uh, when I went to college, I studied theater, and uh, one of my best acting teachers I had said, "You should never take a pause in a scene that you haven't earned." And I thought that it was very well said because it it just means that you got to keep the scene moving, so that if there is a time when when you you pause for dramatic effect. It means something because the rest of the scene was clipping along, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this line must have a certain amount of gravity. Right. And so, yeah, I think that's the same with with tanking. If you overuse it, then it just becomes annoying, and the rest of the table is like over you. Uh, I played with William Kasuf once too, and that's oh, jeez. Yeah, it's probably the worst <laughs> poker experience I've ever had. <laughs> I mean, Kasuf's kind of a good like person to bring up because it's a similar situation where most of what Kasuf did was perfectly legal and within the rules of the game of poker but it just doesn't mean that it's good right <laughs> and, and it was with the intention of tilting everybody I think that mm-hmm. he does that because he wants people to be annoyed with him and, and if anyone doesn't know him um, congratulations you have not been <laughs> exposed yet to the worst uh, person in poker or one of them um, but yeah, he 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 never makes a decision quickly. He likes to sit there and talk, and he likes to goof around. But he has like three or four different catchphrases that he uses every single time. Uh. And after a while, it becomes so annoying. It's like it, you need some new material, dude. Like if you're gonna yeah. do a monologue every time it's your turn to act, it can't be the same monologue I just heard two minutes ago. But <laughs> right. I don't know. He's got psychological problems. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> So, so anyway, it should be interesting to see how Doug responds and what the what the uh, poker community does to Daniel after tonight. And by the time this episode is released on Friday, I'm sure that a lot of this discussion will uh, have happened. But my prediction is the Daniel fans will say it's brilliant, and the Doug fans will say uh, it's bad for the game. So, yeah, seems- I think you're right. People are Team Daniel, Team Doug. It's it's just a it's a black and white world nowadays. P- uh, nuance is lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nuance is a thing of the past, I think. <laughs> You're either with me or you have to be counted against me, Derek. That's right. Well, I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> All right. Cool. So let's hear about this hand. Is this one that you played recently since you uh, recovered from your illness? Yeah. In fact, I actually just played this last night. Oh, great. Uh, so it's fresh in your mind. Yeah, this was the uh, the sixteen fifty twenty k guaranteed on ACR. I've played that tournament before. They do it every day, right? Yeah, it's a good one. It's a 
it's nice and deep. You start with 50k in ships, so it's super deep, and it gets a lot of runners, uh, obviously, since the 20k. Um, and it's a lot of soft players, it seems like. So I, I like this tournament a lot. It's kind of, I think it's like the recreational players shot taking tournament you know <laughs> like yeah the guys who might be normally playing from three to eleven or whatever but they're like uh, you know three eleven dollar buy-ins but they see this one like oh big guarantee just a little bit more than my normal buy-in i'm in yeah so uh, i try i try to fit this one in whenever i can yeah i agree i've played this tournament before i found it pretty soft and uh it, it's good times so yeah definitely um so yeah so we are Fairly early in this, I um I don't remember how many levels we were in, but we're at 375, 750. And like I said, we start with 50K. Um, but I had actually tripled up a bit before this, uh, where I was fortunate enough to have kings against tens and ace king on a king 10x board. Wow. That so, yeah, is a man. triple up flop, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I managed to get it all in and somehow fade some weird crazy quads or something to lose um so yeah so we have basically tripled our stack up we're at um, just under 140k at this point now you don't Um, get those bad beats like you don't get the quads against your your set because uh you're you're a shill right isn't that why i'm a a streamer (laughs) damn it You're on the Stormer team, so you, yeah. you you run pure as gold, right? That's right. That's my catchphrase <laughs> that I like to break out when I like bad beat somebody or something. Like, hey, what can I say? I'm a streamer. What damn can it. I say? I'm a streamer. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I, so we ran we ran pure in that spot. Um, had to throw that in. Let's see how pure we run in this particular spot. Okay. Um, so again, three seventy five seven fifty are the blinds. We are under the gun one. Uh, it folds to us. And we have Ace of Spades, King of Hearts. Yeah, now we have everyone at our table well covered if we tripled up, right? Yeah, there's only one other person that has over 100K. Everybody else is basically between 30 and 70K. Okay, so it's going to be a uh, deep stack, no limit hand for sure. Yeah. All right. Um, All right, so not, not a uh, huge shock we decide to open our ace king we make it 1999 so right. about two and a half x so we're in second position under the gun plus one yep and after one fold with ace king we decide to make it 1999 so it's about 2.3 2.2 what is that yeah right it's right around 2.3 Four? Oh, it's a little more. Okay, two. Right. Oh, because right, seven fifty in the big one. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Actually, right. it might even be a little more than that. Maybe like two point six. I'm so bad at math. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All but right. Let's call it two and a half. Okay, it's a little more. And a little, if I yeah. wasn't, if I wasn't so intent on making everything nine 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 at the end, it would be a lot easier. <laughs> <laughs> but that's my that's my trademark. So I'm that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Um, so then the guy immediately to our left, who is the only other person over 100K, calls. Okay. And the very next person to him raises to 9,000. Ooh, okay. So kind of spicy. Um, it folds all the way back around to us. Okay. And, uh, and we have a decision to make here. Yes, we do. Now, what do you make of that call, first off? Because uh, in my experience, when I raise from early position and the player to my immediate left calls, that's usually a very strong hand. Yeah, I think um, 
I think in general I'm going to give him a pretty strong range. I mean, I do think it's possible, and based on his numbers, I don't know that this is necessarily true. But I was going to say there there are people who, when they're this deep, like to just splash around with like six, seven suited and eight, nine suited, maybe just small pairs that they just want to see a flop, try to set, you know, try to hit a set and and move on. But I it, I would lean towards stronger holdings. Okay. Yeah, and by the way, if you're among those players, uh, that is a losing strategy for sure. You are deep stacked, and you're going to have the worst relative position to the early position raiser, who happens to be Derek Tenbush, who is a known nit. So <laughs> That's right. a nit raises from early position. It's going to be ace-king, ace-queen, big pairs. I don't think that, Derek, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think you have a lot of like 7-5 suited in your range here. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I could sort of be raising like, like I'd raise all my pairs here. Okay. Um, ace. Even, even small pairs. Okay. I mean, I think this deep I probably do. Um, I don't. Maybe not like deuces, threes, fours. I'd probably raise fives plus for sure though. All right. Um, yeah. But beyond that, I mean, it's pretty much probably like ace jack suited plus. Yeah. Yeah, but let's get into why this is such a bad call by him if he doesn't have a a, a strong value hand. Uh, number one, uh, you've got all the players yet to act behind you, any of whom could three bet. And then if you don't have a strong enough hand to call that three bet, you basically just thrown this money away when you didn't really have to, right? Right. And then this is just as important. If he ends up in the middle of you and, say, one other caller behind him, he has the worst position because you're the player who's most likely to bet the flop, and then he has to act before the other player. Yeah. And so yeah, he's, he's in a sandwich for the rest of the hand. I mean, you yeah. don't want to put yourself in these spots. I mean, you want to, if you want to speculate, you should do so from late position and never from uh, right next to the original razor from early position unless you have a hand that justifies getting involved in this bad spot. I mean, he's in terrible, the worst possible relative position. And now you guys are facing the three bet. I mean, you, by no coincidence, have a strong enough hand to uh, go up against that three bet because you wouldn't be opening too many um, junk hands from early position in the first place. And this is part of the reason why you want to be able to, to keep playing. So your question is, do I want to call or do I want to four bet? And I mean, we're certainly yeah. not trying to get all in here. I mean, we have way too many chips to be happy to get all in with Ace King. But how many does your, how many does the three better have? What kind of stack does he have? The three better has uh, 104 big blinds. So yeah, he started that's the hand too many. With like 75. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking too in in the heat of the moment. Um, and it's worth noting too that this uh, the three better's three bet percentage is five percent. So he's not like a habitual three better. Yeah, there's nothing uh, maniacal maniacal about a a five percent three bet percentage. Yeah, right? and he's doing it against you know, as we mentioned, a, a tight under the gun one opener and a flat. So I you know, I don't think he's getting out of line here necessarily. Yeah, it's not a spot that most aggressive players would would see as a an opportunity. Uh, maybe if you were the razor and it folded to him, he might three bet with some kind of range, 
But that call in between you guys, I think that's that's a scary call for me. So, uh, yeah, I think that his three-bet range should be value-heavy, um, possibly with no bluffs at all in it. Honestly, mm-hmm. in this tournament, this $15 tournament, I don't expect it to be balanced here at all. I think it's going to be value-heavy. So it should be, you know, your hand, ace-king, maybe ace-queen, uh, probably not ace-jack if he knows what he's doing. Um, and then, you know, pairs like nines and up seems yep. to be like a, a reasonable range for him to have. So against that range, we don't really want to be four betting anyway. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, I like we, you know, we block aces and kings, so I worry a little bit less about those, but we're essentially just kind of begging to get it in flipping for a hundred big blinds, which I just think we can take a different approach. Yeah, and there's no reason to do that. There's just no yeah. reason to to I mean you just you got so lucky to triple up with your kings. So why do you want to risk most of that <laughs> right <laughs> on a flip on what's at best a flip here? I mean, just because you have an ace and a king doesn't mean he never is going to show up with with the worst the worst bad news of all, right? Mm-hmm. I yep. mean, uh it could happen. So, yeah, I I I'm really in favor of just calling here and uh, be happy to take a flop with your ace king. Agreed, and that is exactly what we do. We call the nine thousand, and then uh, our friend to our left uh, threw away two thousand chips because he folds. So okay, he, uh, All right, <laughs> he got so, what he had coming to him. Uh, yeah, this drives me crazy. I mean, this is uh, really bad poker. Like you've already made one mistake, which is calling with obviously not that strong of a hand, and now you're getting priced in to call with that not so strong hand. I mean, what kind of odds is this guy getting by the time this guy makes it 9,000 and you call 9,000? That's 18,000 plus what was already in there. I mean, this is crazy for him to fold. I, I, there's no hand I would fold getting those pot yeah. odds. So Yeah, he's getting like 3 to 1. Yeah, deep stacked getting 3 to 1, even in his relative bad position. It, it's a call. I'm sorry. I mean, Yeah, I mean, all the hands we kind of discussed that he could be doing this with, like the, the small pairs and the suited connectors – are all getting a great price to see a flop here. I mean, if you have like seven, eight suited here, you're just like, all right, let's see some parts or whatever, you know, whatever you need. (laughs) And deep stack poker is about speculating. So, I mean, I don't like him choosing to speculate from this position, but then choosing to not speculate when given these, uh, these odds is a mistake. So if you're going to make that call in the first place, you have to defend against a three bet. I'm sorry. You just have to call. So, yep. He's a bad player. You can mark him down as a bad player. <laughs> <laughs> Got him noted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, yeah. So, he folds, like I said. We go to a flop. There's now 21.9K in the middle. Uh, and the flop comes ace, 10, 8, rainbow. Ace of diamonds, 10 of hearts, 8 of spades. Um, so, I feel pretty good about this flop. Uh, I think he's going to have a lot of, like, tens jacks queens um i mean he sometimes is gonna have ace king like we do um maybe he's possibly got tens flop a set which we don't feel great about but um in general i mean when we flat ace king this is pretty much what we're hoping for so yeah i mean this is the ideal flop for ace king and uh, yeah we can worry about pocket tens pocket eights even pocket aces if we want to worry about everything but mostly, uh, we should have a strategy of, uh, you know, showing down this ace-king, come hell or high water. Yeah. 
I think I agree. And I don't see any reason for us to like lead here or anything tricky like that. I think, you know, if he's got jacks or queens, let's just check it over to him and make sure he bets it at least once and we get some value. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's probably going to fold those hands if we lead. So, yeah, there's no there's no uh the solvers don't have us ever leading in these heads up situations. So, yeah. I would trust their uh <laughs> the solvers have played a lot more hands than I have, so let's try. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we do uh we do go ahead and check and he bets eight K even into the twenty one point nine K. So pretty smallish not, not not like outlandishly small, but on the smaller side. Um which I don't know if there's all that much we can read into this. I mean, if he has like tens, then he's just making a really nice small value bet. And if he's got like queens or jacks, he's just trying to get us to fold for the least, you know, the smallest investment he can, <laughs> I think. Yeah. Um, so I don't think there's a lot to read into this bet sizing. And I, I mean, I'll ask you, but I also don't think really, really want to do anything here but call. It's a pretty dry board. We're not really worried about a whole lot of like turns. Well, the ed the advantage to check raising here is only when he's got ace queen. Like mm-hmm. I did say, I thought that ace queen could be part of his three betting range. A lot of players just won't uh, ever flat with ace queen. They they want to three bet it. So uh, we do lose some value, potential value at least, um, in that unusual scenario. But yeah, I I don't know. I think I think all things considered, it's better to just call and hopefully see if we can get him to bluff again on the turn when he doesn't have uh, an ace. And you know what, Derek? If we're beat, we're gonna just lose a ton of chips on this hand. Yeah, I think you're right. I, I'm not gonna uh, try to. I'm not trying to find a fold with ace king. Yeah, I mean, I think there's probably some. There might be some runouts where it could happen, I suppose. Like, uh, I don't know, you know, runs out king-queen or something. Yeah, and, that's you know, pretty bad. straight or something, but... Um, yeah, and we're worried about kings. We're worried about pocket kings, pocket queens, pocket jacks, more so queens and jacks, just because we don't know where any of the queens and jacks are at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we know where two aces and one ten and one king are. So... You know, just combinatorically, we're we're more concerned that our compo- our opponent would would get lucky with a queen or a jack. But it's such a small, I mean, small chance. It's two outs. You know, we're not gonna worry about that until it happens. But yeah, I agree. If both a king and a queen, or both a jack and a queen, came off on the turning river, then I might start consider folding. But short of that disastrous nightmare scenario, uh, I'm I'm happy to just keep checking and keep calling. Yeah, I think I like that. Um, so we do just call. That brings uh, brings us to 37.9K in the pot, and we get the eight of diamonds on the turn. So now the board reads eight, ten, ace, eight. Uh, there are two diamonds out there. We do not have any diamonds for what it's worth. And he's got something like 60-ish behind? Yeah, he's got 60.5K left. Okay, all right. Uh, and like I said, there's 37.9 in the middle, so. All right. Um, so we kind of stick with our plan here, like we just discussed, and we check. And he bets pretty small again, 11,000 into 37.9K. So the turn was the eight of, eight of hearts? Eight of, eight, of, <laughs> uh, eight of diamonds. Eight of diamonds, which put two diamonds on the board. So our board is now ace, ten, eight, eight. 
yep. with two diamonds. And, you know, there's some, yeah, I, I don't, there's, I mean, this is one of the best cards in the whole deck for us. This is a great card. Mm-hmm. So I'm happy to check and hope we can get this guy to keep betting into us. So, yeah. Yeah, and so we do check, and he does bet, like we said, 11,000, and we just call again. Um, again, I think, like you said, ace-queen's probably the one thing we could be targeting here with a check raise on the turn, or if we had done it on the flop. But I think it's just such a narrow part of his range that I'd prefer to just kind of let him keep bombing, or whatever he's doing, what quarter potting. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's that's the odd thing is it's just such a small sizing. Like I'm I'm on board with the uh with the small sizing with his full range on the uh flop. So if I'm in villain shoes, I would bet 8000 with my ace queen, ace king, pocket aces, pocket tens, pocket eights. I I'm, I'm not even sure he has pocket eights as a three bet pre uh given that you raised from early he might not even have that. Um, so, yeah, aces, tens are the sets. Um, and then, you know, as a, I guess turning my turning my kings or my queens or my jacks into a bluff, 8,000 is fine. You know, I do that sometimes, like when I have three bet pre-flop with uh, kings or aces, or kings or queens, I should say, and then the ace comes off and my opponent checks. I, I still try to rep that ace. So I'm fine with him betting. 8,000 with those hands as well. But then this small bet on the turn is is a little bit strange. He's not taking any steps to polarize himself. He's basically representing uh, a hand that's trying to get value from a 10. Yeah, which is kind of interesting because I don't know what 10s I have. Yeah, well, you know? yeah I don't either. Um, and... It, like, if I'm in his shoes and I have kings here or queens or jacks, I, I kind of feel like I'm checking back the turn. Yeah, it's strange. His bet is strange. It feels now more like, uh, you know, maybe it is ace-queen sometimes where he's trying to get value from worse aces. You know, you, you might have made a loose call pre-flop. Like, if he has ace-king... You might have made a loose call pre-flop with ace-queen or ace-jack. Yeah. Yeah, ace-king would make a lot of sense for him. I guess the the question is if we think if we think he ha- he's strong here, is, the, is there any reason, is there really any reason to raise? Because basically ace-queen is the only strong hand that we want to get action from you know in other words if he does have tens or aces or eights uh, like we're not really trying to get it in although we might not be able to get around it at this point well it doesn't have to all go in i mean yeah if you check raise it all goes in a lot but i think just calling here is the best way i mean this pot is plenty big for me with one pair well two pair technically if you count the eights right Sure. I mean, for the strength of our hand, this this is about the right pot size. So I, I'm not looking to to inflate this pot simply because our opponent starts with a hundred big blinds and trying to get a hundred big blinds in with one pair is usually um, a bad idea. 
So, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, this board is so dry, though. And and Ace Queen does keep it keeps uh, standing out in my mind as a uh, a hand that would bet twice. Other hands that would bet twice do include pocket aces, which we block, and pocket tens, which we block, which we don't block. But of course, uh, we block Ace Queen too, don't we? So. Well, yeah, good point. It's very hard to put him on any hand that should be playing this way. Um, maybe pocket tens. But yeah, ace queen, ace king, pocket tens are the uh, value hands that I think can make this bet. And I don't know. Again, I don't know what bluffs he has. I think that in a fifteen dollar ACR tournament, the three bet from an early position raise and an early position call, and then he's very next in line. Like that's just not going to end up being a bluff. Like, hardly ever. Right. All three of you guys are in early position, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it's just, you know, that's not a spot where m- many players will have any bluffs. Right. But he could be bluffing now. Like, if he's betting queens right now, he's bluffing. Yeah. But I don't know what he's trying to get a fold from. Yeah, because I don't know what we call... I mean, I get Unless in his mind he's thinking well i made it so small that he might just and, and he him talking about me i made it so small and he has so many chips that maybe he'll just call me down with kings or queens or not you know nines or whatever you know whatever he thinks he can get me to call quarter size quarter pot size bets with yeah I mean, at that point... I mean, he, he clearly doesn't know me very well because I'm a nit and I would have folded all those hands by now. But. Yeah, he couldn't get any value from a 10 or from pocket jacks or anything. Uh, yeah. No, not from you. But yeah, that's a good point. He may not know you as well as all of us do. Maybe he has never visited twitch.tv slash killingbird, <laughs> which I don't know what's wrong with him if that's the case. But yeah, um, you are a known nit, and so he should not be trying to... Uh, <laughs> get value uh, from you. So, I don't know. It's a strange bet no matter what. Generally speaking, we want our turn bet sizing to be a little bit bigger as a percentage of the pot than our flop bet sizing generally. Um, and there are you know, a whole litany of reasons why that if you're interested, uh, Andrew Brokus covers this sizing issue uh, in rather graphic detail in his recent uh, hand review, also from ACR, where he went deep in, I think it was a $50 ACR tournament, whatever Andrew's most recent um, series is. He actually talks about this quite a bit, but it has to do with uh, the turn is a good time for denying equity and the flop is a good time for uh, having a wider range. Hmm. So, yeah, it is interesting because, I mean, there's a lot of theory behind it, but... In this spot, I don't think there are too many hands that I would personally bet 11,000 into 38,000 with myself. I'm having trouble coming up with with any really. So yeah. it seems like a strange sizing, no matter what he has. Yeah, I would agree. It it certainly made it made me curious what was going to happen on the river. I will say. That. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is he trying to set up a big river shove here, or is he trying to get to showdown sort of cheap? Um. Yeah, he's going yeah, out a I little less really sure. than 
If we call, he'll have a little bit less than than a pot size bet, right? Yeah. Okay. So yeah, he could be trying to set up a river shove, which would not be pleasant for us. But okay, well let's see. We just call here on the turn, right? Yes, that's okay. correct. So yeah, we just call. There's now uh, just under 60k in the pot. Uh, he has 49.5k behind. And the river is a seven of clubs. Okay, so the final board is ace, ten, eight, eight, seven, and no flush came in. Correct. All right. So uh, possible straights are nine, six, and jack nine? Yes. And that's it. Uh, so we're not at all worried about a straight, right? Um, we could be behind... Pocket aces, pocket tens, quad eights, and if we really got unlucky on the river, pocket sevens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just feel like we're ahead so often here that I just want to check and hope he bets again and I can call him. Try to get him to bluff again? Yeah. Uh, that That is what we do. We do check. And he shoves. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) And it's really interesting because, well, in two two ways it's interesting. Um, Like, at this point, is he trying to get me to fold an ace when he has pairs of jacks, queens, or nines, or sixes? Like, I, I guess what I'm saying is, like, you know, every they always say every poker hand is a story, you know, and it's like... Chapter one is the flop and chapter. Well, now we're at the final chapter. It's like, well, this story is really coming together as though this guy has a hand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, he really does. Um, it, it, the story is that he does. Um, right. Here's my so, yeah. question. Let's try to answer this question because I think it's kind of a key to this decision. Do you think your opponent would make this play with ace queen? Uh, I think if they had, if we assume they would would play ace queen preflop the way they did, in, in other words, you know that there's somebody who three bets ace queen in that situation, I think they would. I mean, they'd have to because, I mean, they might think if we had ace king, we would have just gotten it in pre, which we, I think you and I both agree, is not a great idea. But they might be like, well, he doesn't have ace king because he didn't want to get it in pre, so he might just think ace queen is a great hand. But I guess then the question becomes, well. If I don't have ace king, and he has ace queen, then what do I have? <laughs> like ace nine? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, one hand that would play this way is ace ten, but I don't think ace ten should be three betting from fourth position after second position opened and third position called. That just right. seems really wild to me. I mean, I know people do it, and the most compelling evidence we have that were beat is this very large river bet after two very small bets on the flop and turn. Yeah, I'd be really curious to magically summon all the hands where people have bet really small on the flop, really small on the turn, and then bombed river against me to see what that is. Like, what does that mean? Yeah, across that, the whole population, you know what I mean? Yeah, especially like, in tournaments like this one, where I wouldn't really expect him to try to to double up 
here unless he I mean why would he take such a huge risk he still has 50,000 chips and the big blind is 750 so it's not yeah. like he's in any desperate straits here it seems like another small value bet if he thinks his hand is good actually makes a lot of sense but the fact that you've called twice does strengthen your range a lot and you're saying you have an ace and he's saying right. he can beat an ace yeah, like I think my hand is pretty face up. It feels like it's ace. You should have ace, queen, ace, king a lot, I think, the way mm-hmm. you're playing this. I don't know if you would check and not raise with a set on the turn. But yeah. You would yeah, check I think he, yeah, great. I think he can kind of, he can kind of assume I never have a set here. Or, well, I guess what is now a full house. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, yeah, when you make a full house or quads on the turn... I think that you are typically going to check raise on that street. And so the fact that you didn't, it kind of caps you a little bit. Mm -hmm. And so because you're capped, it could embolden him if he knows what he's doing. Do you have numbers on this player? Because I I don't know what his HUD stats are, if you know them. I do 23-17-5. Those are reggie reg stats. Like Those are like what you expect a $15 like reg mm-hmm. on ACR to have, which means he probably plays a lot of tournament poker. Um, I don't know, Derek. I, we need to have some bluff catchers in our range, and uh, I'm not happy about putting this many chips in with Ace-King, but because it's so hard for us to be beat, if we got unlucky, we got unlucky. I'm not folding. I call. Yep. That was the conclusion I came to. I just, especially, I think in the moment, and I don't know if this is really a good way to think about it, but at the time I was like, well, I kept checking for a reason, to get him to keep betting. So <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and call that. I'm not, I'm not veering from my plan. Yeah, you um, know what? I mean, there's a lot of logic to that. I mean, you basically, you were trying to induce bluffs, and now... You, you've induced bets. We don't know if you induced bluffs or if he's just, you know, somehow got ace-king beat in this spot. You know, if if you're beat, then the most likely hand you're beat by is probably pocket tens. Yeah. Um. But, you know, sets are rare. I, I don't know. I don't know. I cannot, I cannot talk myself into throwing ace-king away here. We didn't three bet and we didn't four bet it pre-flop. We underwrapped our hand all along, checking and calling. You know, we were very not aggressive with Ace King, and so when you're yeah. underwrapped, you kind of have to pay off. Yep. Go ahead. I, I think I agree. And we hit the old call button. He turns over pocket nines, and we scoop the pot. Wow. Yeah, I mean that's just blind aggression on his part. Now, I know these tournaments allow rebuys for five hours, but but you don't have to keep paying that rake, guys. You know, you've got, I know. You've got another, what does he have, 70 blinds that he just shoveled in on the end. Yeah, and I I mean, I, I don't really mind the three-bet pre. Um, you know, kind of take control of the hand. He's got position on me, whatever. Um and I, and I certainly don't mind him c-betting this flop because we can have a lot of small pairs and stuff that we fold. 
on this board. But how he finds the third barrel, I just don't know. Well, the only <laughs> it's logic... It's so unnecessary. It's totally unnecessary, Derek. But the, the only logic that, that exists for shoving is uh, that you block both possible straights. But if you know anything about Killing Bird, <laughs> you know that he never, ever, ever has Jack-9 or 9-6. Right. So blocking those hands to the extent that it means we don't have them, I could have told you two years ago we don't have them. We don't have those hands. We right. didn't, We are Derek Tenbush. We do not raise from under the gun plus one with 9-6 or Jack-9. We don't do that. So we didn't ever have a straight, so you don't have to worry about blocking. You know, I think people take this blocker thing too far sometimes, and that's probably what happened here, because he does block all the straights. Yeah, it's kind of interesting too because you know he made that turn, that small turn bet, and I, I almost kind of don't even hate that so much because it just kind of allows him to like dictate the price and then just check out back like all rivers. Um. But then he didn't check back the river, like, because if he just checks behind on the turn, then I'm gonna bet the river pretty large, thinking my ace king is good like always, and he's gonna have to fold his nines. But maybe he's just like, well, if I just bet 11k here on the turn, he's just gonna check to me again on the river. I can check and just go to showdown, and maybe my nines are good. Maybe it's gonna draw or whatever. But uh, yeah, I just don't understand the bomb because, like I said, I feel like my hand is pretty face up well yeah it, it is it is on the turn and that's partly why he might have felt empowered because again your best hands are probably going to check raise on the turn mm-hmm. that's a good point and so the fact that you capped your range made him think well maybe i can get this guy to fold ace x whatever he's got you know now, in your yeah. shoes, some players could have a hand as bad as ace-five suited, mm-hmm. right? A, a suited yeah. aces are hands that some players will open, especially like if they have wheel potential, ace-five, ace-threes, hands like that um, will open. And then a deep stacked, call this three bet, right? And now you flop just a pair of aces with no kicker. And I think a hand like that might have to fold the river because... You you have to worry about the three better having ace king. So right. I don't I don't really think your hand is as face up as you think it is, but it does That's feel fair. like you you should have an ace a lot when you yeah. call on four street. So he's trying to blow you off an ace, which trying to get a player in a fifteen dollar tournament to fold top pair during the re-entry period is generally bad strategy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I will give him a little bit of credit. I tanked for a long time, mainly because I was kind of trying to talk it out to my viewers on stream. Yeah. Um, so that's make it to probably take longer than it really should have. But uh, I did tank for a while about it because I, I was trying to figure out what the heck this could mean. And really, I was infatuated with the, like I've mentioned earlier, the small bet, small bet, big bet line. I was just like, what? What, have I seen this before, and what usually is it? Yeah, um, it's very odd, you know, that he didn't polarize himself until the end, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, in a sense, his turn bet, the fact that he bets the turn at all is a little bit polarizing, but the fact that it's so small, you know, I, I, it's strange. It's a strange bet to make, especially with pocket nines. Not that pocket nines have any type of showdown value. 
but it's still odd that he would bet again. Yeah. What what the heck does he think you called with? Yeah, I think the only thing that he can really try to like that I could have like missed with or whatever would be like some sort of like king queen suited yeah. where we flopped a gutter. You but don't. that's pretty optimistic thinking on his part that I could have something like that. And he and I'm just gonna fold it anyway. So he might as well just check and win against it. <laughs> yeah, I, I right. Right. I mean if you have a gut shot then he's winning anyway. Why are you trying to bluff somebody? Especially on the river, right? On the river, yeah. king queen has king high. Right. And pocket nines is beating king high. So there's really no reason to, to, to shove if you think you might be beating a, a gut shot that missed. Right. You know, that, that hand can never call you. So, yeah, this is a strange play by someone that I think is probably a strange player. And just didn't know how to stop. He started betting and he just couldn't stop. <laughs> yeah. He's like, well, I've gone this far. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, he three bet, then he bet, then he bet, then he shoved. And for, you know, it's not an easy call. I didn't immediately say, oh, Derek, you have to call. I mean, my first instinct was to call as we talked it through. But um, I also was fully aware that this could end up being bad news, especially with that huge bet on the end. It was hard for me to come up with a bluff. Though, we yeah. were talking about kings or queens or jacks. I really don't see him doing that with, with those hands. Very strange. Regardless. Yeah. Strange I, all I, around. Yeah, I, I do kind of wonder what he does with those hands. Like, if he does that with nines, does he do that with kings? Like, is he just like, well, I'm just going to turn my kings into a bluff and hope he folds an ace? <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> not because he has that little glimmer of hope that you could have a pair of tens all along. When he bets so small on the turn... I don't know what tens you would ever have, Derek, but if you do have one, you should probably call that turn bet as well. It's yeah. small enough, yep. you know, offering you almost five to one, you should call, right? Yep. So, ah, you always bring hands that are fun to dig into. <laughs> you really do. Cool. I'm glad, I'm glad you dug that one. I thought it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So what's the streaming schedule now before we say goodbye? Let people know what's going on. Yeah. So actually, um, coming up. Uh, it'll be Tuesday, yeah, so you guys will be listening to this on Friday. So, yeah, coming up on Tuesday will be my uh, weekly home game. And I will also be hosting what is called the World Series of Home Games, which is basically a tournament um, where all of the different guys and girls who have these private home games uh, essentially puts teams together, and those teams compete together in one big tournament. Um, so it's my turn to host that as well. So if you've been thinking about checking out my stream, that would be a pretty fun night to do it. Um, it's also a night where we usually crack open a bunch of beers, and, well, that's a lot of our streams. But particularly on that night, <laughs> we crack open <laughs> a few beers and, and have a good time. So uh, if you're listening to this before uh, Tuesday, the 2nd of February, um, swing on by and check it out. It'll be fun. That sounds amazing. I hope I can join. I'm going to try to free up my schedule that night. Uh, so Groundhog Day, Tuesday, February 2nd. It's the World Series of Home Games. And uh, I hope to be playing in that on Team Killing Bird. <laughs> <It's possible. low. laughs> we got to bring home that trophy. Yeah, buddy. Well, yeah, I'll let you know as soon as I can whether I can be a part of that night. That sounds like a really great time. So I'm uh, glad you're feeling better. And uh on behalf of all the listeners, thank you for uh, coming back on the podcast. We always love hearing your voice. Thank you, my friend. Had a blast. Absolutely. So for Derek Killingberg Tenbush, and for everyone here at Tournament Poker Edge, I'm Clayton Fletcher. Thank you so much for listening. Uh-huh.
Take two in Texas, please Fold them, let them hit me Raise it, baby, stay with me Lock in intuition Play the cards with babes to start And after she's been hooked I'll play the one that's on her heart Love nobody. Everybody, everybody. 